Dennis Hollinger says, the head, heart, and hands all play a significant role in our Christian faith. Our minds, passions, and actions interact in such a way that unless all three are present and nurturing each other, we are less than the people God created us to be. And unless all three are present and nurturing each other, I believe we are less than the church that God is calling and creating us to be. You see, what I do think is unique about Calvary is that when we are at our best, we are seeking to be in this sweet spot where all three of these areas intersect. For instance, the heart inspires us to get out of our heads and it compels us to be fully present to God and to one another in those situations where there simply are no answers. But the head informs us of the best practices and ways in which we can do mission with our hands so that our desires to help don't inadvertently hurt others, but instead build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And the hand challenges us to offer more than thoughts and prayers as we seek to minister to one another, but also to offer our time, our talents, our resources, and ultimately our lives for the sake of the kingdom. But all of that is hard work, isn't it? None of it is easy. And in order to understand how these areas work together, we first need to explore the heart, the head, and the hand individually. And so today we begin this series by looking at the heart. Now it's not hard to do considering that the heart is mentioned 858 times in the Old Testament alone. The book of Proverbs tells us to guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. In Jeremiah, the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And the Lord says to Samuel, people may look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. When Jesus is born, for instance, the shepherds immediately respond with action. They quickly go and tell everyone what they have seen and what they've heard. But what does Mary do? She treasures what has happened, and the text says she ponders it in her heart. And as Jesus grows, he teaches people that the pure in heart are blessed, for they shall see God. Well, today's text in Luke 24 takes place after Jesus has been crucified. Two of the disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus when what appears to be a stranger approaches them and begins to walk with them. And so the stranger asks them what they're talking about, and they begin to tell him about this man named Jesus, a man they had hoped would save Israel, but he was handed over to the chief priests and leaders, and he was just crucified. Now, some of the women had gone to the tomb that morning, and the tomb was empty, and they'd seen an angel who told them that Jesus was alive, but if he is, no one has actually seen him. So the two men really aren't quite sure what to think or to believe about what has supposedly happened. They, they just can't logically understand it. It doesn't make sense in their minds. But after they say all this to the stranger, who we know to be Jesus, he says to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. Now, it's easy for us to be critical of the disciples here. 
But I wonder if we have heard this story so many times that our heads want to fill in all the blanks for us. But when we put ourselves in their position, when we put our hearts into the story, I think we can begin to empathize. Verse 17 says that when the stranger first approaches them, they stand still, looking downcast or sad. The message translation says that they look long-faced, as if they have just lost their best friend. And the reality is that they have. They have been told secondhand that Jesus is alive, but there's absolutely no proof of that. They have no logical reason to believe that this is true. Which is why it's so interesting to me that Luke, who is a doctor, uses the words that they were slow of heart to believe. It's as if Luke realizes that our belief and our faith has something to do with our heart. Sure, the mind gives us this capacity for knowledge and reason and understanding, but the heart has an important part to play in all of this too. Scholar Richard Vinson says that slow of heart would have actually meant slow-witted or reluctant because the ancients actually considered the heart to be the spot where one thought and made decisions. And so the slow of heart disciples continue to go along and they ultimately invite the stranger to come with them to Emmaus. So he goes home with them and while they're sitting at the table, he takes a loaf of bread, he blesses it, breaks it and gives it to them and suddenly their eyes are opened and they finally realize that it's Jesus who's been with them this whole time. But just at the moment when they recognize him, he vanishes from their eyes. And their very first response to each other is, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us along the road? It's so interesting to me that they couldn't sense it in that moment. The disciples only recognized that their hearts were burning within them in retrospect when they are remembering their experience with Jesus along the road. Richard Vinson says, they did not know him when they saw him, most plausibly because they were not ready to believe. But upon reflection, they felt something powerful. The situation that they couldn't even begin to understand or even imagine in their head suddenly is made clear through their heart. And they know that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Friends, when we say that on Easter morning, do we say it with our heads? Or do we say it with our hearts? Do do we know what that feels like for something to make no logical sense in our heads, but to know it so surely in our hearts? I asked this question in staff meeting this week, and as we went around the table to share, we realized that virtually every major decision we have made in life, God has made clear to us through our hearts. We've discerned things like where to go to school and what to study, who to marry, even who not to marry, the decision to move to Waco or or to come to Calvary, the decision to adopt children and to start a family, Decisions to trust that God would make a way for us in a particular situation, even when we just couldn't see a plausible way forward. Even in situations where logic or reasoning may have led us in a completely different direction 
God has led us to places that we never could have imagined through this experience in our hearts. Now, there are lots of different ways that you and I could describe this. Some people might call it a feeling in your gut or a movement of the Holy Spirit or a nudge from God within you. And whatever you'd like to call it, there are many of us, myself included in this, who encounter God first and foremost through an experience of the heart. For instance, when I think back about when I was first learning about salvation as a child, I was told that, that I would feel it within me when the time came for me to ask Jesus into my heart. I, I knew the Bible stories. I knew the answers to all the questions that the pastor would ask me. But it was the sense of the Holy Spirit within me that helped me to discern when the time was right for me to profess my faith in Jesus. And I think I've told you before, I still remember being at youth camp one summer when the pastor asked if anyone in the room were considering a life of vocational ministry. I had never thought about it before, not once. I had never even seen a woman in ministry and didn't know what in the world that would look like for me. But I felt it so clearly in my heart, and to this day, I still believe that that night at camp is when I first began to discern this calling that God had placed on my life. I actually first came to serve at Calvary because of a decision of the heart. When I moved to Waco, several of my trusted mentors in Kentucky were adamantly telling me not to work in a church during seminary. They, they just didn't want me to jump into a church staff position right away. They wanted me to focus on my studies and to soak in all that seminary had to offer. But in just a few days of moving to Waco, I had an opportunity to interview to be the children's minister here at Calvary. And that night, I sensed a connection with the people around the table, and I felt my heart come alive as I learned about this church and this community. And ultimately, through prayer and conversations and discernment, I felt God calling me to Calvary, even though the trusted advice of my mentors back home was telling me otherwise. And that heart decision completely changed the trajectory of my life and my calling. And I'm still just blown away when I think back on it. So many people throughout the Christian tradition have talked about their faith as an experience of the heart. John Wesley wrote about his conversion experience as a time when his heart was strangely warmed. There's also a great story about Martin Luther King Jr. having the spiritual experience of the heart. It was in the midst of the civil rights area, and King had become a target of a steady barrage of threats and obscene phone calls. And one night he got a phone call that threatened not only his own life, but the life of his family. And he found himself unable to sleep, exhausted, overwhelmed, and afraid. And he wrote, I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid that people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they will falter. But I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left, and I've come to the point where I can't face this alone. And that same night, he says, in the quiet of his kitchen, 
and in the depths of his heart, King began to feel this rush of peace within him. At that moment, he said, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go, my uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. Now, you could say that the civil rights movement was primarily a movement of the head or the hand. Boycotts, sit-ins, marches, sermons, speeches, and nonviolent protests all required intentional thought and strategic action. But it was God speaking to King through the heart that gave him this inner strength to move forward. And I would venture to guess that the same is true at one point or another for all of us. It takes some kind of experience of our hearts burning within us to give us the courage to trust and to do whatever it is that we feel God is calling us to do. Which actually makes sense because courage is actually a heart word, as Brene Brown reminds us. She says the root word of courage is cur, the Latin word for heart. And so in one of its earliest forms, the word for courage meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. Friends, what would it look like for you and for me to engage more courageously and wholeheartedly with God, with one another in our lives together, with our neighbors? What would it look like for Calvary to engage more deeply with our hearts in this place? Because there, there is power in sharing our stories and bearing our hearts with one another, isn't there? Names and faces change things. The heart changes things. It can take a moment as ordinary as walking down the road with some friends and turn it into a completely extraordinary encounter with Jesus. But what happens when we rely too heavily upon the heart to the detriment of the other areas of our faith? I know there are certainly times for all of us when the feeling just isn't there, when, when our heart just isn't in it. Yet our faith beckons us to believe anyway, to love anyway, to serve anyway, to follow after God anyway. And then there are also times when our hearts can lead us astray, can't they? when our own feelings and emotions can actually distort the truth. The heart offers a powerful way for us to engage with God, but it can't be the only way. That's why the head and the hand are vitally important too, as we'll talk about in future weeks. Ultimately, the hope is not for us to be led by our own hearts but to be people like David in the Old Testament who follow after God's own heart. Mother Teresa actually talks about this in her book, In the Heart of the World. And she tells a story about a priest who she says is one of the best theologians in India. And one day she goes up to him and says, Father, you talk about God all day long. How close to God you must be. And he says to her, I may be talking much about God, but I may be talking very little to God. 
And then he explained, I may be rattling off so many words and maybe saying so many good things, but deep down I don't take time to listen. But it is in the silence of the heart in which God speaks. Listen in silence, she says, because if your heart is full of other things, you cannot hear the voice of God. But when you have listened to the voice of God in the stillness of your heart, then your heart can be filled with God. And when I read that, I, I couldn't help but wonder if the disciples couldn't hear the voice of God, if they couldn't sense the presence of God smack dab right in front of them, because their hearts were filled with so many other things, distractions, confusions, frustration, grief, shame, sadness, despair. In the midst of all that, they just weren't in a place to believe. Perhaps the best way we can nurture our hearts into believing is first by recognizing what our hearts are carrying by not stuffing or ignoring or hiding these very real emotions within us, but acknowledging them and then offering them to God and allowing God to fill our hearts in the ways that only God can. During this series, we are going to respond a little differently after each sermon. There will always be our invitation to come to the back and to visit with a minister Perhaps you have felt your heart burning within you to respond to what Jesus has done for you. Perhaps you're feeling led to make Calvary your community of faith. However God is leading your heart to respond today, you are welcome to come to the back and to visit with one of our ministers. But there will also be an opportunity for all of us to respond with our hearts today. Today, the choir is going to be singing after the sermon, and I'd like to invite you to take a moment and just during that time to empty your heart of whatever heavy weights it is carrying today. Offer whatever your heart is carrying to God and allow God to speak into the stillness of your heart. Listen to what God might be speaking into your life today, because when you have listened to the voice of God in the stillness of your heart, then your heart is filled with God. And so, dear Jesus, I ask that you would help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Flood our souls with your spirit and life, penetrate and possess our whole being so utterly that our lives may only be a radiance of yours. Shine through us and be so in us that every person we should come in contact with may feel your presence in our souls. Let them look up and see no longer us, but only you, Jesus. Stay with us and then we shall begin to shine as you shine. So to shine as to be a light to others. The light, Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be ours. It will be you shining. So let's praise you in the way that you love best, by shining on those around us. Let us preach you without preaching, not by words, but by our example, by the catching force, the sympathetic influence of what we do, the evident fullness of the love our hearts bear for you. Amen. <laughs>